Well, good morning to everyone. Particularly glad to see our friends come back from their trips and in a very safe way. Uh, glad to see Brother Tony here and all of his traveling companions. Um, although it is a bit intimidating when you take the pulpit where such a person like Tony preaches all the time, it can be intimidating for those of us that just do it on occasion. So I do, uh, do ask for your, your patience. So this morning, I want to say what a beautiful morning we've had so far. We have enjoyed springtime, although it may not necessarily feel like it was some of the temperatures we experienced. But on my drive in this morning, I was glad to see that down Nola Lane, when you come from our house, as I was driving through there, it looked like it snowed. It really did. But it wasn't snow. It was all those wonderful Bradford pears blooming out with all their whiteness. So that definitely tells us that spring is right on the doorstep. I actually saw some little blue flowers out there uh, as I turned to, to head this way. So we are definitely right on the, the edge of spring, uh, getting ready to see spring. And uh, I'm very glad that it is here. So this morning I'll ask you a question. Have you ever had one of those days? Maybe we'll get the display going here in just one second. Have you ever had one of those days where things just don't go right? Where you wake up behind? Where things just don't seem to be going your way? I know I've experienced it. And I'll share a little bit of, of things that, that I have uh, experienced, and maybe you guys can relate to it a little bit. So maybe you've got a meeting that's scheduled for early the next morning, sooner than your normal starting time. So you've got to get out of bed early. Of course you don't because you like to sleep. So you get up, you get started, get all your things arranged, and you've got to head out the door, and inevitably there's something that's going to go wrong. Perhaps maybe it's a spilt cup of coffee. Or you head down the steps of the car and forgot your briefcase. Got to go back and get the briefcase. Can't find the keys. And it's not just for folks like me that have to go to a, to a job every day. It's everyone else in my home. The daily saga seems to be, where is Jameson's shoes? Um... He can tell you about that if you'll ask him. But, uh, but it's just rushed. So you head out of home and you start to work. You've got to get to that meeting on time. And what happens? You get behind slow traffic. Always. I guess that's Murphy coming to visit, but that's what happens. You always get behind someone that doesn't even go the speed limit. So you rush on through your day and you finally make it. And when you make it, you're already five minutes late. So we get started in our first commitment, our first appointment to the day. And you just start to realize, yeah, this isn't going to end on time. So you get those folks that like to talk and go off this way and that way. And you're sitting there, okay, we're going to be here another 15 minutes longer than we're supposed to be. Which you know immediately puts you behind for your next commitment. So we end that meeting and we start to the next commitment we've got. And someone grabs you on the shirt sleeve. Hey, can I talk to you for just a second? Just a second never takes a second. Have you ever noticed that? Just a second usually is a five to ten minute conversation. 
So now you're really behind from where you're supposed to be. So you, you, you make it to your next commitment and, and you say to yourself, well, I'll, I'll, I'll make it up between the next meetings. Not so much. Never happens. So you make it through there. You, you're, you're through your first couple of meetings. You, you haven't even had a chance to get a coffee. You haven't had a chance to check the emails that you know have stacked up overnight. Your voicemail light on your phone is blinking at you or buzzing on your hip. And you're just like, i got to get to those things. They could be important. And so your day just starts out at this, this pace. And it just maintains that pace all day long. It comes lunchtime, and you go, well, I don't have time to eat, so I'm going to check those emails. I'm going to get those voices. I'm going to get caught up over lunch. And so as your day just continues on that pace, and you, and you get caught up in the activities and the commitments and the things that you're dealing with, all of a sudden, you look up, and it's really late. And, and you've worked yourself beyond the point of a, a family meal time. So you grab the phone, you, you, you call your spouse and say, Hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not going to make it. Go ahead and eat without me, and I'll be home in 20 minutes. Or like what happened last Thursday when I was at work. My wife was in Murfreesboro, and she says, Hey, you want to grab a bite to eat before we go home? Let's meet over at Zaxby's. I said, okay, I'll be there in about 10 minutes. 25 minutes later, I walk in and she's getting her food. And I said, did you order for me? Said, no, I didn't know when you were going to be here. <laughs> so it just goes on and, and your day just can, seems to continue on and on this kind of crazy pace. And you get to the point where you just, that day turns into another day just like it and another day just like it until it turns into a week and, and you're in this week and you feel like all you're doing is just juggling you're juggling all these commitments you say hey I should really work for Barnum and Bailey because I'm really good at this stuff but you're just juggling commitments commitments between work commitments between career commitments between family children we haven't even talked about spiritual commitments yet. And you're just juggling, tossing one thing in the air, hoping you catch it before the next one hits the ground. Frantic. And that week, that crazy week, turns into just this insane month. And this insane month just turns into a lifestyle. And so this morning we started out by reading Psalms chapter 46. We particularly focused uh, on the verse, uh, verse number 10 that says, Be still and know that I am God. Our lesson this morning is, is two very simple points. We need to be still and we need to know that He is God. So as we think about this frantic lifestyle that we have, we have tried or has taken over us, we just think about the way things move so quickly. If the, I could get the display to show for you, I had a picture of a big city. And in this city were just all these lights, just streaming and blurring and, and all around. That's how our lives feel sometimes, with all this stuff coming at us. It, the economy, everyone knows where the economy sits. It has placed so many demands on the family that we no longer are able to live most of the times on a single income. 
Mothers and fathers both have to go out and take full-time jobs just in order to make the ends meet. So we start stretching our commitments to family in order to meet the commitments that we have economically to provide for ourselves. Corporate America, same condition. They want more and more of our times. You remember Henry Ford when he brought out the assembly production line. His goal was to have an eight-hour day and a 40-hour work week. I would ask you to do a show of hands who works those hours anymore, but I'm pretty sure every hand would just about go up. Our eight-hour days are no longer existence. We work eight, nine, ten, twelve, twenty-four, Jeff McVeigh. Because Jeff's like me. He's got this theme that's just always with him. We're constantly on call. We're never disconnected. And that's what society expects from us. Families. Our family demands have increased. Our children have access to so many things that maybe we didn't have when we were younger. They've got extracurricular activities galore, whether it be sports or arts or science, you name it. There's all kinds of things that they can get involved in, and and rightly so. It expands their personalities. It grows their social skills, and that's a good thing. But it adds pressure to an already stressed life. We are so connected in this 21st century that we live in. Everyone's got their cell phone or their smartphone or their tablet or laptop or some other digital device that for all intents and purposes has become part of our anatomy. Just go out to the markets, to the malls, and see how many people you see walking around with these things in their ears. Guilty. Okay. We see advertising on television that says, let's stop the text while we drive. I know you've seen the programs that, that, that pull on your heartstrings saying, this was the, the text that my brother was sending just before his car crashed. We have hands-free devices so we can drive and not be distracted, but yet still carry on a conversation. We're connected. We're expected to be connected. Always. And what does that mean? Things are continually coming at us. It's just unthinkable that someone might be out of contact. It is almost uh, a bad thing if you take a moment to be still. Because society just looks at it um, in a negative sense. So when we think about all this stuff swirling around us and how life becomes essentially just a blur, I have a concern which is why I'm talking about this. My concern is that we're suffering from a malady, a malady by the name of oblivious. If you look in the the dictionary, the definition of oblivious says that one is unmindful or unconscious or unaware. But it goes on to say that oblivious is one that is forgetful, without remembrance or without memory. Now, I'm not saying that we intentionally bring this upon ourselves, but I think we suffer from it because of where we are in our lives. So much stuff happening that we become oblivious. Now, it's easy for us to sit here and think, well, yes, we're in the 21st century and things are so different than they were before. Really. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, 
where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That was what our brother Paul had to say to the church at Colossae. Worry about the things above, not the things on the earth. First, in the book of 1 John, it says, chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. For all this is the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. It's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it. But he who does the will of the God abides forever. So you see, this malady of obliviousness is not unique to our generation. So much so that you recall in Luke chapter 8, Christ used the parable of the soils to teach about something very similar to this. You recall he talks about the four types of soils, right? The, The wayside soil, the rocky soil. Then he talks about this thorny soil. He says in Luke chapter 8, verse 7, it says, And some of the seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And then, of course, he goes on to talk about the good soil. But then as we go on through that reading, we see Christ explaining this parable to the apostles. And again, once it gets down to this explanation of the thorny soils, let's notice what he says. Now the ones that fell among the thorns are those who, when they heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, bring forth no fruit to maturity. So you see, we are busy, and we struggle to keep ourselves from being oblivious. But that condition was there in the first century also. So we bring back to mind the words that the psalmist Davis said. Be still... And know that He is God. So I think we've established that we need to be still. We need to take a break. We need to take a breath. And when we take that breath, we need to know about our God. So how do we know about God? Can anyone really and truly know God? Not entirely, but we can know about Him. Typically when you talk about God and you try to sum him up in the most succinct way possible, three characteristics are generally brought forth. His omnipotence, his omniscience, and his omnipresence. Big words from a country boy. All-powerful, all-knowing, and ever-present. So very quickly we'll look at just a few things. When we think about God's power, we can think about all kinds of different things. We can think about his sovereignty. When we read back and we study the history that's given to us in the Bible, we can see his hand at work in the children of Israel, during the period of the judges. All throughout the Bible we can see his power demonstrated and oftentimes using just mere men, sometimes sinful men, to accomplish what he wants. So his sovereignty rules. We can note his power by observing the miracles performed through His Son Jesus in the New Testament. None more important than the shedding of His blood on the cross for our sins. But for the next few moments, I want us to consider something that's more, uh, that's more realistic to us, that is closer to us as individuals, and that is His creation. 
Of course, this creation begins with the account in Genesis. You look at Genesis and we read there how creation took place. We read how that God, in six literal days, created this world and all that's on it. In day one, we read how that He made light, how that He made evening. On day two, we see that He made the ferment and He separated the waters. On day three, He made that dry land appear. He made the seas. He made the vegetations. On day four, He put lights up into the firmament. The sun over the day, the moon over the night, the stars in their places. On day five, He made sea life. He made birds. On day six, He made all the land animals. And He brought forth His greatest creation, man. For he says, we made him in our image, man and woman alike. He gave them dominion. He gave them rule over all the creatures that he had just created. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, it's recorded these words. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was good. It was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So we have the account of God's creation by His Word. And I wish, again, we could see the screen, but if you just picture in your mind all those images that folks like NASA share with us, when they beam back to us images of, of our world, and you see the glow, and it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. And if you take a moment to consider, our God spoke that into creation. It humbles you. You can know His power by observing our globe. We all don't get to travel into outer space very often. At least I don't. Brother Leonard may, but I don't get to go out there very often. So I have to settle for things that I can see here on this terrestrial world. So sometimes you go out and you just take a look up into the sky. Nice, clear night, no clouds about. And there's this big white ball just hanging out there. And you think to yourself, my God put that there. He spoke it there. It's beautiful. It's awe-inspiring. Psalmist said in chapter 19, verses 1, two, three, uh, 1 through 2, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. The psalmist said, just look, people. One of my most favorite places in the world is about 45, 50 miles away. Fall Creek Falls State Park. I love to go there and view the mountains. I love to, to stand there and just look out across and see creation. Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 24 says, And you said, Surely the Lord our God has shown us His glory and His greatness. He has. We just got to be still and look at it. I had the opportunity to travel. I know Brother Don travels quite a bit, but I had an opportunity to travel up to up to Newport um, and go out and stand on the banks of the ocean. Now, if you want to know 
God? You want to appreciate the power of God? Stand on the ocean. Stand by the ocean. If you if you aren't impressed, if you aren't struck by the power of those waves crashing on the shores before you, just the sound that they make as they hit the shoreline, the power of the wind, and if you happen to venture out into the tide and feel the power of that undertow, well, that's nature. No, that's God. He created nature, and if that nature displays His power, what about the verse that says in Psalms chapter 89, verses 8 and 9, O Lord God of hosts, who is mighty like you, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds you. You rule the raging seas. When its waves rise, you still them. So when you stand there and you're impressed by the power of nature in front of you, don't forget God created it and He still controls it. So as we think about nature, we would kind of be remiss if we didn't take into account those naysayers, wouldn't we? We've got those in our world that, that, that want to challenge, if you will, God's creation. The Bible says six days he's spoken into existence. They say, oh, no, no, no. I just read an article yesterday. We found a new bone. Or we found a bone that we've studied and now it, it, it proves that this dinosaur's leg or bone that we're looking at is now like ten millions older than the oldest one we thought it was. The Bible said six days, not ten million. They also found this, this, this new thing, this new little amber crystal. You know what amber is, right? It, it's where this tree sap flows over uh, insects if, and covers them up in their state, and then it stays there for long, long times, and it turns into this crystal, this jewel, this precious stone, and it preserves the little creatures that are in there. And it's amber, and it's great. Have you ever seen Jurassic Park? You know, they got the little mosquito thing there. Well, they found this new one now. And they're just, they're just so enthralled and amazed because this new piece of amber caught the act of a spider killing a wasp. Pretty cool. Got covered by sap, stayed there for millions of years, and now we can look at it. Now, here's where my problem comes in. These evolutionists want to say that we got where we are by gradual change over years and years and years and years and years and years. You know what? Suspicious to me that that spider and that wasp that he was having lunch on looked exactly like the spiders and the wasp that we have today. So if it took all those millions of years to, for that thing to turn into an actual crystal, why do the spiders and the wasp look the same? If evolution is true, you would think they would look different. They look the same. Oh, well then, apparently they've reached the perfect state of evolution where they were. Folks, the Bible teaches us the man that says in his heart there is no God is a fool. And that stuff right there that I just talked about proves it. Oh, it took millions of years to form that amber. Yeah, but the spider looks the same. That's foolishness. 
we can know God by looking at His creation. And we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that He created it. With His Word. And we can know His power just by observing it. Now that's our modern day folks challenging God. But you know, there was a, there was a time in the Bible when we read about someone that kind of challenged God. Maybe not on the same vein as, as, as our modern scientists do, but the thought was kind of the same. You remember Job. Job was a good man. He was. He had a tragic life. He had so many uh, bad things that were put upon him by the devil. But as things went on, Job kind of got frustrated. And he began to question God about all these things that was happening to him and why. And then I think God kind of had enough. He said, Job, I got some questions for you. And I'm not going to read them all, but I'm just going to bring a couple to your, to your minds. In Job chapter 39, verse 26, he said, Does the hawk fly by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Y'all see hawks? Have you ever noticed a hawk? I just, just last week, I was coming home from work, and this big creature flew across in front of my vehicle and landed on something on the side of the road. That was lunch for a hawk. And it was beautiful. Hawks are wonderful animals. I love to see them sitting, especially the red-tailed hawks just down the road. But you look on them, and that's part of God's creation. So he asked Job, does, he, does that hawk fly by your wisdom? And he goes on to say in chapter 39, verse 27, Does the eagle mount up at your command and make its nests on high? Sometimes I wish that God would have this question and answer session with some of our modern day scientists kind of like he did with Job so we see his creation we see his animals but if we really want to just observe and we're not going to get past this point in our lesson today so I'll apologize but if we just take a moment and we want to know God and understand his power we don't have to look any further than right here at our own bodies we all went through school and we went through all those nice biology classes and they've got those really cool graphics that they pull out about the pieces of the body. You remember the one where the eye, they take the, the, the cross section of the eye and you can see all of the, the muscles and the tendons and the lenses all drawn out and just how intricate a design that really is. How amazing it is that we can see in stereo we can see all the way back here. Or we can look at our brains and how our brains are able to manage and accomplish just keeping this bag of bones alive. Not a computer that can do that yet. It's amazing when we think about just the human body that God created. You look at something just as simple as our skin, our epidermis. You remember that that picture, the, the big fat with the hairs and all that. It's amazing the intricacy of the human body that was created by God. Psalms chapter 139, verse 14. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my, and that my soul knows very well.
So we have to look nowhere beyond our own bodies to appreciate the power of God. He is all-powerful because He created this world. You look at Revelation chapter 4. You read verse 11. It says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. So when we want to take a moment in our lives to be still and know that He is God, just simply take a look around. You can see His creation demonstrated around us every minute of every day. You know what the Bible says about those who refuse to do that? Who look upon creation and and determine within their own hearts that it's not really creation, but it's just some lucky happenstance? Turn over to the book of Romans. You look in chapter 1, and you go down to about verse 20. And you find recorded there Paul's words. It says that, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made. And then please carefully note this last part. So that men are without excuse. Paul said, God's creation is evidence enough. And if you just simply be still and look, then you'll know the power of our God. And you have no excuse because He shows it to us clearly in nature. So as we think about our thought for today, we know we're busy. We know life wants so much of us right now. But I think it's important. I think it is critical for each of us to be sure that we set aside time in our life, to be still. Just to be still. And know that He is our God. Note His creation. Hear His Word. Study what He has to teach us to make ourselves the kind of Christians He would have us to be. Of course, knowing God has to begin with obedience to His plan of salvation. You have to hear and believe the gospel of Christ. Then you have to realize that you've sinned. Then you have to repent. You have to turn away from walking in error. Once you've done that, you confess that Jesus is indeed the Son of God. And then you'd be buried in the waters of baptism to have those sins washed away. You rise up a new creature, a child of God in the right relationship, in a position where you can truly and boldly proclaim, yes, I know God because He's my Father. What comfort is there in knowing you can make that proclamation and understanding that you can be still and know that He is God? 
If you can't make that claim this morning, it should be an uneasy feeling. I'm sure there are those in our audience this morning that, that have yet obeyed the gospel. And our prayer this morning is that you would take this minute to be still, to know God, and to realize your lost condition and make it right before another hour passes. Now, if we're here this morning and we've, we've succumbed to the distractions of this life, we've let the, the world pull us away as Christians from where we should be, let's make that right too. There's no need for us to go another minute, another hour with our relationship in question. So if Brother Stanley comes and leads us in this song, if you have any need, won't you please come as we sing our invitation song.